Hi, I'm Mike Sams. I'm one of the REACH Australia consultants uh, in Adelaide. And uh, today we're going to be talking with Paul Young, who's uh, in Perth, and he's a but really sharp thinking on mission. I'm really looking forward to hearing what he has to say about uh, how we go about mission uh, in our churches. And uh, he's actually about to embark on uh, church planning as well. And he's been thinking about how he can uh, most helpfully mobilize his church into mission. So uh, let's uh, hear from Paul today. Hey, Paul. How you going, mate? Thanks for joining us. No worries. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, it's great to have you. It's um, really good to hear about uh, your reflections on mission today. And uh, I thought before we get stuck right into it, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and what you do uh, week in, week out? Yeah, yeah. So I'm married to Beck. We have two energetic small boys called Sammy, who's about two and a half, and Lucas, who's like 10 kilos of roll and about love and life at at six months. Um, we're living in Perth. Uh, I am the missions pastor at Providence City and about to plant a church in the suburb of Bayswater. So yeah, that's our life at the moment. We kind of live in the middle of Bayswater. Uh, we're locals to the area, been there for a little while now. Love it. Right. Oh, that's good. We're going we're gonna to get uh, dig into your, your role that you have at Providence and where you're heading with the church plant. Uh, particularly in regards to all your thinking on mission. Um, before we do that, why don't you tell us uh, a bit about how you got passionate about mission in ministry uh, and if there's any uh, significant moment that you can remember or any particular Bible passages that you know, brought out deep convictions for you. Yeah, well, it's part of my own story. So really wasn't raised in a Christian family. Actually, was on the road to become a professional golfer. Uh, but that kind of burned up in flames for a little bit. And um, right at the moment uh, when I was rethinking that, I uh, had some mates at high school who invited me along to their church. And that was huge. Uh, the, the nature of their Christian community, how they treated one another was really challenging for me. And that really made me want to think hard about who Jesus was and, and what he actually meant for their lives. But um, I reckon the biggest reason why I'm passionate about mission in the church is that uh, maybe around seven years ago, I think it was, I took my mate uh, to a debate. It was between a Christian pastor and an atheist. You know, you know, one of those classic kind of debates. And it was in the town hall, you know, it was a bit back and forth. It was a really great debate and lots of fun. And um, my mate at the end of it said, um, God, you know, I uh, love to keep on talking about stuff. Rory, who was the name of the Christian debater at the time, was like, I wonder if he would be up for a whiskey. And that really made me start thinking about, you know, all these mates that me and Beck, my wife, have. Uh, what would they do to engage with Christian staff? Who would they go to? And is there a church that they would be up for going for? And I reckon both of us thought there just wasn't the stuff that we saw in the churches that we knew that they'd be keen to come along to. Yeah, so always really thought, gee, I'd love to create staff or a church or events or programs that they would come to and love it. And um, yeah. Seeing that, that gap in wanting to get people involved with, uh, with God's people, but not feeling that, that there was a place for them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That probably makes a lot of sense of why you're about to embark on, embark on with uh, church planning, <laughs> I imagine. Uh, so I'm really interested to get your thoughts on church planning, but specifically on why it's a great strategy for mission. Uh, for evangelism uh, yeah 
Yeah, what do you what do you think of the advantages uh, uh, in church planting for uh, reaching out the gospel? Yeah, I, so just a precursor, I love my current church I'm at, <laughs> Providence City. I love it. I think it's a great place to work at. That's right. That's right. Just in case I hear about it. But um, I reckon one of the great things that I love about church planting that um, that makes my current church sound lame, but it's not, is that um, you're not trying to combat a, a preset culture in a church or a certain ways that people have done things. And most often not in the area of mission and evangelism. People just walk into that by default. Like it's not even really thought through, but the moment you're in an established church who have an established culture and a way of doing things, uh, you need time and energy to turn that thing around. Um, so the best thing I love about church planning is that everyone's starting from the very beginning. You can think intentionally about how you want your church life and your own lives to look for the sake of mission. And you can be all on the same page. Hey, we're we're in this together, we're doing this church together so that more people who don't know about Jesus come to know him. And I find that really exciting. I love starting new things. Uh, that's, yeah, I find, I find that lots of fun. But um, yeah, um, yeah. Do you feel like there's, uh, when people come along, they have a fresh energy that's just a bit unique? Uh, when we uh, planted in, in Adelaide, the Trinity Network, we found yeah. that people, they seem to, flick a switch in a sense into regarding, well, we've got to make this thing happen. So let's think about it in a kind of fresh way. Is that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They always talk about in, um, you know, mission books and mission literature about mission drift. Like if it's not a thing that you focus on, you just, you should forget about it slowly. And I reckon that's so true. And the church plant is a great opportunity for everyone to go, Hey, who are my friends and networks and connections that don't know Jesus yet? And, and it puts them on the agenda instead of my own preferences, my own likes, the way that I like the music or the way that I like the sound. And so from the beginning, you've got a group of people which are outward focused and uh, that helps keep everyone honest about the task we have at hand. Yeah, right. So you said you like starting new things and so that, that works, church planning. <laughs> but uh, do you think there are things that are easier in trying new things uh, when there's nothing there compared to trying to like you said with the church it's already there you've got a, a massage uh, maybe prune some things and think things through why is it easier to start something when you when you don't even have a picture of what it's going to look like um, if it's not even existing yet mm. do you know mike <laughs> oh, well i was just thinking that part of the part of the advantage of it is that you're not trying to deal with uh, all the competing ideas that people have of what it, what it is doing currently or look like you can, before it started, you can set the very clear goals that you want it to achieve. And then you can wrestle with, wrestle with them as it started out. Whereas when you've got something existing, you've got to then go and, and re-clarify and help people see that's not why we're doing it or, or mm. we need to, change these things then you've got to convince people to change those things because they some some people may find that that was something that they really love doing uh, whereas you don't have to try and convince anyone of changing something when you do something new uh, yeah clarity is absolutely key like i think um in in an established church uh you have lots of people if if there isn't a set mission and vision which is guiding and directing and, and pulling everyone along 
you have lots of different ideas on how to all do the same thing. And the great thing about a church plant is that you can decide together and pray together through what the vision and mission to reach these people ought to actually look like. And so you can be on the same page and all heading in the same direction and you're all keeping people accountable to that. Um, so absolutely, yeah, you're not trying to turn the Titanic around. You're trying to, yeah, start up a speedboat. And uh, if you all can agree, the rough direction that you're going in a speedboat makes things a lot quicker. Yeah, that's right. And that's not to say that you don't, you, you, you don't uh, try and do that in an existing church and you can't do that. All, it happens all the time. It's just there's, there's a unique difference when you're starting something that's not there that there mm. are advantages for. You just mentioned, I thought I'd push into, you just mentioned that having a vision and mission for your church is, and clarity, you mentioned clarity as well just before that. Why is having a mission and vision uh, and, and having it clear important for outreach? Yeah, I reckon a couple of reasons for that. I reckon the first reason is, um, is that people have lots of different things going on in their lives. Uh, you know, unlike church pastors who are working you know, five, six days a week on trying to make this thing happen. Uh, for most people, you know, they've, they've got a large project that's due. They're dealing with a million dollar budget on Wednesday. You know, they've got, then they come home and they've got family and kids and then Saturday sport. It's just, there are lots of different things that are taking people's weeks and attentions up. And if something isn't clear and simple, which they can action in the very every day of their life, then I reckon it's just not going to translate from Sunday into Monday to Saturday. So I reckon clarity and simplicity of vision is key for that so that people can really get on board in the way that they go about all of their lives. Um, yeah, I reckon that's really important. Mm. That's actually helpful to, to remember that, yeah, people aren't working full time like the pastor who's trying to start the thing or in an existing church. And so you've got to actually help them with the time they've got have clarity. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really good. So then how... With all these good opportunities, how, and if you've got a clear vision and mission and people are going, how do you help mobilise your core team? You may be in the middle of that now as you're looking at planting. Um, mm. How do you mobilise them and how do you help a, a young church kind of make the most of those opportunities and advantages that, that um, we've been talking about? Yeah. Uh, someone once told me that good leadership is making other people concerned about the same stuff you are. And I reckon um, that has proved true a lot of times in the church planning process. I've been training as a launch team. I've been thinking through issues and, and key things, which are really hard, particularly about mission and evangelism. Uh, a key task of mine is just making them concerned about the same things that I'm concerned about. Uh, so when I think of Bayswater, I think how are we going to reach and engage with the 25 to 30% of people who voted Greens as their primary party with a way that they don't normally engage with church? How are we gonna engage with those guys in an area who don't normally have a Christian friend? Um, that's not normally one of the things that they do. So how are we gonna engage well with them? Um, how are we gonna engage with them when they've primarily got young kids, uh, which means that they're time poor and they're working jobs in the cities, mostly in double incomes. How are we gonna engage them with the gospel when we're saying, hey, church is on Sunday when you're normally playing family sport? Uh, so making them concerned about the same things that I am uh, helps us to get all on the same page. Now, I've actually forgotten the question that you asked, Mike, so you'll probably need to ask that again. That's really good. And I was just, well, how do you mobilise the, the, your people, uh, yeah. the yeah. mission? And what, yeah. what you brought up there, which I, I wasn't thinking about, was 
you, you, you help them by not just trying to convince them that they should be on mission and this is what you're going to do, but you get them thinking about the people around you mm. um, and the different types of groups that, that you have and how you're going to engage with them, um, which is really good insight. Um, can you push into that a bit more? So you mentioned um, if you want to pick a group and describe how you might do that with your people, how do you actually mm. go about doing that, thinking about your group that you've got out there and how you're going to engage with them? Yeah, so I reckon a few things are really important. I don't, I don't think it's a simple answer. Like I don't think there's one thing that you need. I don't think there's a silver bullet or five silver bullets that you can do just to make things right. Uh, but I reckon there are a number of things which help. So for example, I think I have to be in mission and on mission. So if my church doesn't see me actually talking to my friends about Jesus, inviting them to events, inviting them to things, then I reckon it's just the whole idea of a church being on mission together as a community will completely fall flat if the pastor himself isn't on a fire for mission. So, um, so I made that a bit of a rule for mine in my first year as Providence City Missions Pastor. I wouldn't run anything or do anything unless I invited a mate to it. And so everything we did, yeah. So I invited a friend to everything. And, um, and did church know that was in your intention or that's just your rule you had? Uh, no, you're the first person I've told that. Yep. <laughs> um, uh, I, I just think it's a rule of thumb. Like, I mean, if I'm not going to bring my mate to an event or this thing that I'm running because there's a massive cringe factor like, for whatever reason, then, you know, um, Jim, who's working in the city from nine to five, he's not going to invite his friend, you know, like, or he's not going to have the courage to tell Jesus if I'm not doing it. So um, I think that's a key, key role of mine as missions pastor is that I've got to be leading the way from the front. Uh, but the other thing I've got to make sure I'm doing is training and equipping them and giving them lots of opportunities to be on mission. So listening to them, hearing their friends, hearing their concerns, hearing the kind of issues that they're coming up against is really important for me to hear what those things are so that I can train and help train them in terms of how to tell the gospel to their friends in those situations. Um, and I think that brings a really important thing that as a church, we're on mission together but we're also training and helping one another to do the task. So the church isn't just doing it. We're not just sending individuals into their, into their networks and connections to do it. We're all church and individuals are doing it together. We're helping each other, encouraging each other, training each other in that task. Yeah, that's really helpful. And I think where we've headed in the discussion there is, is getting into your headspace of being a missions pastor. Um, mm -hmm. I'd love you to kind of keep going on that. Uh, when you took on the mission past the role, uh, what, what was it? What, what, uh, cause a lot of churches don't necessarily think that way about a, a pastor coming on and his, uh, his job is to be a missions pastor, to think about that outcome of seeing people converted. Uh, mm. yeah. What did it, what did it look like and what is it looking like? Yeah. So when I started, I reckon, uh, the missions program was an evangelistic course once each term. And that was what we did at Mission. And, you know, we ran a couple of events here or there, but it wasn't structured. How long ago was that, by the way? I can just, uh... Uh, that was two years ago. Okay. Yeah, okay. Uh, yep. So I took on the role beginning of 2019. Yep. Um, and been in it since. Um, I remember Rico Tice talking about it, and this really shaped everything I did for Mission from here on in, is that they're finding in the UK that it takes someone 12 to 24 months, roughly, to become a Christian with a Christian friend. And if that's 
you know, sociologically what's happening, even though God is working sovereignly in people's hearts and drawing people to himself. But if that's a sociological thing which is happening, can a church sustain that? You know, if we had someone who rocked about our church and say, hey, I want to investigate Jesus, and they're going to take 12 to 24 months with a Christian friend to do it, could we actually support them in that when they've come to a church? And so that really drove my thinking for mission from that point. I thought, you know, we can't just have four evangelistic courses a year. We need to be prepared and doing mission 52 weeks of the year. How can we split that up into a good cycle that's sustainable with different kind of things which draw people to know about the church and different kind of things which foster community and different kind of things which help communicate the gospel. Um, so I've been impacted a lot by Stuart Starr's thinking on that. He's a church planner um, in New South Wales. And he came up with four C's, connect, uh, community, communicate, commit. We connect people, we connect with people, we show them Christian community, we communicate the gospel and we help them commit to Jesus. And um, that simple pathway, that simple four C's, um, that's been our vision, that's been our mission. That's kind of how we've tried to fit everything under. We've been trying to do events by that. We've been trying to train people in that process. Um, and we try and do that multiple times a year. We run through those four C's. Um, yeah, right. That's really helpful. Um, uh, you mentioned pathways and four C's as an example of that. Um, mm. In mission uh, thinking and trying to, trying to do it more intentionally, talking about pathways is a, uh, a big thing. Uh, mm. Why is it so helpful to, to really work on a pathway in your church? Yeah, I think the big reason is clarity, but uh, clarity from two points of view. So it really matters that um, the average Christian in the seat, you know, who's just woken up and their kids are angry and they've, you know, one hasn't had breakfast and they come to church and they, and they sit down, it's really important that they have clarity if they've got a non-Christian mate with them or, or something like that, that they know what the next step is. Um, so they've come to church. Hey, the next step is our gospel and four meals course. I'm going to invite you to that after the service. But I think it's also really important for clarity for a different reason is for the non-Christian who's there or the guest who's there. They really need to know what the next thing is. Um, they just need some simplicity about it, I think. Um, my mate, Andrew West, always talks about um, if you have too many burger options at a burger joint, you get paralyzed by indecision and it becomes the worst burger to like meal of your life because there's too many choices. Yeah, that's right. And so you need about five or six choices, apparently, according to him, to make a good burger. And I reckon very similar with church. Like we just don't have the headspace if we're a guest thinking about Jesus and that he means life or death to think, oh, I wonder what I'm going to do next out of these 20 options. I just need something simple. That's kind of the next thing that, you know, is for me. Um, yeah, so clarity on both levels. That can be really freeing for a church who's not necessarily a big church fully resourced and thinking and they hear all different things that they could or should be doing, that actually if they just have clarity on the one next thing all the time, uh, they, they don't have to be so overwhelmed by everything. Mm. Um, so in thinking through a pathway then, you also talked about going from just having events uh, to thinking throughout the year. Um, I'm assuming, tell me if I'm right, that that's not just now throughout the 52 weeks, you've got to have stuff on. You're thinking more about how you have a mission calendar throughout the year, how, how it actually is intentional. Uh, talk to us about that. How have you 
thought through a whole kind of year or plan for mission. Yeah, I, so this is definitely still a work in progress. Um, but I reckon, yeah, thinking about the whole year, we, we already, like as a pe preaching program and as a mag team or as a maturity theme, think about highs and lows of the year. So we've identified that January is a really high time for visitors. Um, Easter is a point where people do engage with kind of Christian stuff. Uh, we reckon uh, kind of April to July is a real low point and, and August and September is a real high point and then you have Christmas time. And so we wanted to have, as, as a missions guy, wanted to have a missions program which interacted with that well. So we have a bit more of a community push in the first quarter of the year uh, because that's when people are typically open to hanging out a bit more, you know. The year hasn't really started in Australia until Australia Day. So you want to have lots of kind of social hangouts during that time. Uh, we wanted to make sure that we asked some big questions around about April and Q2. Q3 is a bit quiet, so we want to pick up on some niche things. Um, you know, if people are going to engage that time, maybe it's going to be a niche um, activity or a niche interest, which people all gather around. And then at the end of the year, we wanted to capitalize on Christmas and the kind of rethinking that goes into life around about that time. Um, yeah, so we wanted to have something which matched roughly the rhythms of the average Aussie for a year. Okay, yeah, right. So what kind of things would happen in those times? What, what mm. kind of uh, thinking would you get your people to be uh, engaging with their um, friends around them? Uh, so in Q1 for a few years, uh, Providence has had a gospel choir at the local Fringe show. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's how, that's, I think it's incredible that that team puts that on and they have multiple rehearsals and it's like an own little community of itself. But an incredible opportunity if you want to join a community choir to be involved in that at a Fringe show. Um, or uh, if you have friends who are at that time going to lots of gigs and events to invite them along to. So that's something we kind of do. We do a kind of a big questions theme in Q2. Uh, that's been our, our past habit. In Q3, we've, we've had an idea to run niche events so out of the story that I was telling before from my mate, uh, which was about seven years ago, we started running an event called Distilling Life, which is distilling life's biggest questions over some of the world's finest drinks of whiskey. And um, I reckon bang for buck, that has been the best evangelistic thing we've ever done, like ever done. Um, yeah, so niche stuff in Q3, and then we do some Christmas kind of stuff in Q4. Uh, so why, Let, let's uh, just, take a step back to why what was it about the event not so much that what you did in it but the why was that niche thing so beneficial yeah so when we started it seven years ago um i grabbed two or three other guys that i was reading the bible with discipling uh, and i tried to pitch them this idea because we all enjoyed whiskey and he said hey i've got some mates who really love whiskey um seems like when we drink whiskey, we always talk about big life issues about God and faith. Uh, why don't we try and put a bit of a structure around this and try and do this thing together where we all invite our non-Christian mates to talk about Jesus with us over whiskey. And so that was the kind of pitch of the idea. And um, uh, so from the very beginning, we had a clarity of vision in terms of what we're trying to do. Uh, yeah, sure, we're drinking whiskey together and it was kind of like hanging out socially, but its real aim was to get to the bigger, deeper, more complex questions of life. Um, 
So we had a clarity of vision, clarity of mission, and every time we did that, that's exactly what we were thinking each time. Uh, so, you know, in some sense, it was just guys getting together who read the Bible together to invite their non-Christian mates to. Um, so it was a very simple structure, uh, but it was a structure which we were all invested in because we all had non-Christian mates in that sphere. Okay, yeah, that's interesting. So you had the clear plans in place. Uh, that, that got me thinking to something I wanted to ask you about is in your thinking about mission, how important is it to actually be clear on what outcomes you're wanting or mission at large and then actually the things that you do on the ground? So uh, you probably can't tell this if you're listening by podcast, but I am an Asian guy and um, I love numbers, big fan of numbers, <laughs> even though I was a social worker of all things, which has nothing to do with numbers. But um, I feel like there needs to be some point in which I measure and try to evaluate how things have gone. So um, I don't know, some people might be uncomfortable counting conversions, but we do, and I think you got to. Uh, we, some people might be uncomfortable with always trying to measure stuff on how many non-Christians you have at a certain thing or, or um, how many people have followed through from an event, say, to a Gospel and Formulas course that we run. But what, I mean, numbers aren't everything, but I do think you have to have some way outside of yourself rather than just a gut feel to kind of determine how things are going. Like, I, I think there has to be some kind of other measure in place. So um, I'd never put that in front of the church. Like I don't say, hey, we want 20 conversions this term, uh, but I am counting very carefully uh, throughout all the things we do. The non-Christians we have there, the people who say they're Christian but haven't been at church for a long time, um, I'm counting all of those numbers because I, I need something more than just how I think the event went. Yeah, 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 I agree with you 100%. I found it particularly helpful in just thinking, should we keep doing this thing? <laughs> just <laughs> if there is no tangible uh, outcome of it happening, that if, if your plan was to have non Christians come and hear the gospel and, and keep being involved in that 12 to 24 month uh, time you talked about, if you've done it for a while and it, that's just not happening, uh, you can talk anecdotally about it or you can have mm. real clarity on those things. Why, why do you think people are a bit fearful of doing that? I kind of get it. Like, I think people are fearful because they don't want to be kind of corporate driven. They don't want to be judging themselves by the numbers and, and making it all about the numbers. And so you kind of forsake method or, or faithfulness for the sake of the fruit, the end result. And, and I understand that, that's, that's a real drive. Uh, but I think the gospel divides, you know, it's, it's, it's a sheep and the goats. Like it doesn't, it does clearly show you who has come into the kingdom and who isn't. And so if the gospel is doing that dividing kind of work amongst us, then we should actually see results one side or, or the other way. Um, but I understand that that quickly can turn into we just need to meet our bottom number. And if it becomes about that, then that is a problem. Uh, because God is far more concerned, I think, with our hearts, uh, with the gospel going out, rather than us trying to produce something that we can't. Yeah, that's really helpful. So it's not so much setting outcomes and goals, but what's your motivation in doing it that 
that's the issue and it doesn't have to be selfish godless reasons that you do it but actually um godly driven seeing people converted desire yeah that's a really helpful uh mm. reflection so you've been thinking about mission for a while you're passionate about it and it was two years ago when you came into this particular role uh we have all preconceived ideas as pastors about the way we do things and this is the way to do it i'd love to know is there something that you thought this is what we've got to do or this is the way i'm going to think about this or this is the goal i'm going to set uh but now you've changed your opinion or your mind on how how you go about uh, something yeah so true yeah i reckon um you know it would have been fascinating for poor before bible college to meet poor kind of right now um I reckon, you know, kind of like poor before college, I was massively, oh, you know, it's all about organic stuff, you know, who cares about like structures and systems and funnels and pipelines, you know, <laughs> who cares about metrics, you know, let's just like make, you know, just, you know, send people into an area and just see what happens and um, completely organic in some way. And even though I think like I need structure as a person, I thought, no, nah, no, nah, if you're going to run a mission in a church, you know, can't be structured. Like it's, it's got to be your kind of organic and whatnot. And I think over time, uh, definitely as I've seen other evangelistic structures, as I've seen other churches do evangelism, as I've seen other people on mission, it's like, no way. Like that is, that is a Shane Warne of mission. The Shane Warne who can just come in and bowl like an incredible leg spinner. They're the organic person. And actually the nine out of 10 of us like Stuart McGill's who need to actually learn how to, turn the ball a certain way with our ring finger like that's that's most of us and the genius can do mission organically but the nine out of ten of us the majority of the flock we need structures and and nudges and encouragement and 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 people to push us to keep on doing mission so i reckon that's one thing that's massively changed you know like before bible college i wouldn't have thought about pipelines or funnels or anything like that but now i think i'm convinced that uh, not only is it helpful for my sake, but it's most helpful for most people in our church to be on mission wherever they are. Yeah, that's that's really, that's really good. Do you think uh, where would it be helpful in, now if you could have that pre-Paul just turn up right now and say, "Hey, you've forgotten too much of me. Like, I, I, you need some more organic." Where do you think he has some still important parts to play in mission? Uh, sorry, so who's talking to who? So, so I was saying, if your organic Paul that you've left behind uh, yeah. structures, and he, yeah, he yeah. sees his new Paul and he's like, where where is all this organic side gone? Uh, is there any of that that you think you still need to go back and make sure is there that's, that's important? Yeah, so the great thing about organic Paul, uh, yeah, like <laughs> pre-Bible College, is that I just tried like half a dozen, a dozen things and see what stuck. And, you know, a couple of things really suck out of that and, and gained some evangelistic momentum and there was fruit born out of that. Um, but the big problem with, with structures is that you just get locked into the structure itself instead of keeping an eye on the aim, which is for people to become Christian and to meet Jesus. Like, that, that's the aim. And actually, we should be willing to go, you know what, I've spent two years trying to establish this structure, but who cares? Like, now, you know, if it's not the way that God is working through, like, let's ditch it. Let's, let's do something else. And organic poor, it, if you're more organic, you can easily move to that next thing. Whereas if you're kind of set up in a structure, that's, that proves more difficult, I think. Um, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's helpful. That's helpful because 
when you when you start thinking structures, you do start to think this has got to work. So I'm not going to leave it behind. So just being yeah. able to be flexible, uh, yeah, that's that's so great. So in that case, then talking about trying new things and going into uh, just having a crack at things, one of the things that uh, I understand is unique to uh, a Providence and your mission ministry is that you're running this thing called Meals with Jesus. Um, I'd love to hear about just the story of that, how it came into being. Maybe it'll be helpful for people to think how you can go about trying new things and the principles of it. Uh, yeah, just to share uh, what that's all about. Mm. Yeah, so it's called uh, The Gospel and Four Meals, uh, and it's a hospitality, kind of hospitality evangelics course that we run over four weeks. Uh, it first started, now it depends who you talk to at Providence, but I think we all now agree on history, but uh, at various points over the past seven years, people thought that it came out a different way. This is 100% the way it came out. You're, but, you're, um, you've got the microphone, so you can say that's that. Right. That's right. I'll just say stuff and people can write uh, flaming articles about it later. But um, no, the, the, the reason it started was because uh, I was leading a Bible study at the time there are some non-Christians on the fringe of that slash coming to it. And um, it was the last quarter of my internship. I thought, I just need to give that more of, a, more of a shot than I am doing right now. What would help bring those people in and engage with the message of Jesus? And thought, hey, they all love food. Like food is a thing we're all loving together right now. Both like culturally, like MasterChef was massive, still, mass still is massive at the time. Uh, but also, like, as a community, like our Bible study group, love having meals together, love doing that. So I didn't realise this is what I was doing, but when I've talked to Toby Neal at Vine Church about this, this is, this is what he would say, is that what are the sociological things holding people together and how can we have the gospel at the centre of that? And so that, that's what I, was, what I was doing. I was can you say that again? Those... That was a really interesting... Uh, yeah, what are the sociological factors holding people together and how can we have the gospel in the middle of that? Yeah, right. That's right. Yep. Uh, so, so for us, food was the thing which brought us together. And so how can we have the gospel at the center of that? Better yet, how can we have food being the primary kind of teaching mechanism in that? Actually, would there be a way to combine kind of like a food parable into the way that we teach the gospel? So... That's how the gospel and formula started. And um, it was outrageous, like the way we started it. It was like, I was trying to cook a three course meal every week, um, you know, the sin meal. Um, you would go through four chapters of the Bible. So we'd go through creation, we'd go through the four, we'd go through the redemption, and we'd go through new creation. And for the four meal, it was just like an entree of half a scallop and like this crazy chili sauce and um, <laughs> like lasagna with way too much tomato and sugar. It's just like, it was completely meant to mess with your senses. Um, but we found that, you know, people found that fun, uh, but they also found it helpful because sometimes when we think about mission, we just think about what's the best way that I can fit a 20 minute monologue somehow in some way into this thing. And, I, and there's probably more creative ways to go about it than that because uh, some people can hold their attention span for that long, but a lot of my mates can't. And so um, how else can we do it? And so we chopped and changed with food. We interacted over different courses about different ideas. And so it, there was still a substantial monologue in that, 
but we kind of broke it up a little bit over different aspects of what the food was trying to display and teach about that key part of the Christian story. Um, yeah, so that's how it started. It's got some legs now, like uh, Rory Shine has done some work on that and really refined the material and made the meals a lot simpler, which is great. And um, yeah, that's, that's a, a really interesting point and a really a helpful community, which we've found non-Christians are engaging with at our church at the moment. Yeah, that's great. So I'm going to ask you a question now to see how you put all the things you said into action. You yep. talked about mission, you know, having a mission plan and people knowing the next steps and everything like that. Yep. I've just done the meal. Uh, uh, what, what did you call it again? So the Gospel and four meals. Gospel and four meals. I've just yep. done that. Yeah. What's how are you going to do the next steps? What's going to happen? Yep. So at the last meal, you uh, each meal you get a menu. And on the last meal, you get like a little bit of an extra menu that has feedback, uh, a feedback slot, and it kind of tells you what were you before the course, what were you after the course, and what further things would you like to do. So in the last meal, we talk about doing our next course, which is called Investigate, which is reading through Mark's Gospel in five weeks. And that's the thing that we offer to them. Um, and so they have a chance after that to continue in the group. So you're giving them two things there, if I've seen that, for them to reflect on themselves and what they've experienced and where they're at, uh, mm. and even giving them a chance to talk about what they want, but also then giving them an opportunity with something that's outside of them, the course that's following it up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's good. And, and would your people all know that that's how it's going to work? And Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, right. That's great. That's excellent. Mate, that's uh, been really helpful discussion i really enjoyed just getting your mindset into mission uh i think it was really helpful uh you pointing out that your conviction of being in and on mission yourself and helping people drive into that and just that big picture that it goes across um all of church uh thanks thanks for sharing today and uh uh yeah look forward to hearing about all the other creative uh and uh interesting ideas you guys come up with for mission in the future no thanks for having me that's been um really helpful for me to try and articulate what we're doing um no thanks for the chats mike great thanks mate speak to you soon if you've enjoyed this conversation today why don't you think about a reach australia consult where we can uh, dig deeper into mission in your church to help you think about how you can mobilize your people for mission just go to reachaustralia.com.au